Let me just share with you real quickly before we open God's word this morning, just a couple of prayer requests, and then we want to pray this morning. I ask you to be praying for the Hubler family. And uh, many of you probably saw the email this week, and many of you have been praying for Robert, 17-year-old young man who's been battling cancer. Uh, this week he passed away, went home to be with the Lord. So we need to remember uh, his family and uh, the Hubler family in this very difficult time. Uh, tomorrow morning, Mel goes into... Uh, goes into surgery again, so we need to remember Melanie as she goes through surgery in the morning. And uh, also for Barb Morris, uh, who's been in the hospital this week, and uh, she's uh, several different things. She went in for a kidney stone, now she has a blood clot and in fighting some infection. So remember Barbara in prayer. And then also this week, we've been praying for a young man from one of the house parents over at Hershey, uh, Gabe, a young, young fella in junior high school who had uh, brain cancer. They found it out a week ago Friday. They did surgery last Monday, and within 24 hours, the tumor grew back, and they did surgery again on Wednesday morning. Now, things have gone well the rest of this week, and it looks like maybe he'll even come home tomorrow, be home for a little while before he has to start chemotherapy. So uh, those are just some requests we wanted to, to mention to you. And let's go to the Lord in prayer and remember these today. Father, we do want to pray for the Hubler family in this very difficult time, and uh, Lord, as the funeral takes place in the next several days, that you would give great grace and uh, minister your special grace, especially to Robert's mom and dad and his sister, and may they just really sense your presence and all of the Hubler family as they go through this. May they just really sense your presence in their life during this time. Thank you that, Lord, uh, that we know that... Uh, Robert is at home in heaven with you, uh, though that certainly is something that we can uh, find rest in. The separation is still very difficult, and the questions of why such a young man at this age. And so, Lord, I just pray again, may this dear family sense the comforting of the Holy Spirit. I pray for Gabe. Uh, Lord, thank you that he's doing a little bit better. I pray that uh, he would continue to do better and this tumor would not grow back and that, Lord, uh, you would minister grace to his mom and dad and siblings also and to all the family there, uh, Lord, who uh, at the Hershey homes uh, that this has affected this week. Lord, we think of Melanie Ellis as she faces surgery tomorrow morning. Uh, Lord, we know for Mel these can always be very difficult, so we ask for strength and encouragement. We ask for wisdom for the doctors, and uh, Lord, just help things to go well and there to be no problems after the surgery. Father, I also think of uh, um, Barbara there at uh, Lancaster. I pray for her today. I pray, Father, that you might... Uh, just minister grace and strength to her. Give the doctors wisdom. Uh, Lord, also, Father, as they uh, decide exactly what they're going to do, we pray that this clot would clear up and they would be able to take care of that with medication. And then I think of uh, Brady Yank's brother, who's in intensive care at LGH also. Uh, Lord, with this infection, and pray that this infection would clear up and Lord, it seems like that uh, he is so close to, to coming to know Christ as a Savior. And Lord, I pray for him and uh, for Brady as Brady's been taking him to uh, LCBC on, on Saturday nights. And his heart is so open that maybe even through this will be the thing that brings him into a relationship with Christ. So we commit that to you, Father. We celebrate the victory of this young man who came to know you as his Savior this week. 
And Lord, we are so excited. Lord, that made the week here at Mount Calvary Christian School. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, I'm going to invite you this morning to take your Bibles, turn to the book of Timothy, if you would, 1 Timothy. And uh, we have been in an E100 series, the essential 100 stories of the Bible. And uh, today is the, it's not the last, there's actually four more weeks of that E100. But because of our capital campaign, renovations, our heart, his house that will start next week. And uh, today, I'm going to jump to what you would have read tomorrow. And if you're reading the E100, this is what you'll be reading tomorrow. It's been 15 months since I preached a series of messages on church leadership. And I thought it to be important as I looked over last week's stories and this week's portions of Scripture to revisit this whole thing of leadership and order in the church to remind you why for the past 11 months we have a Constitution committee that has been meeting together who have been looking at the Constitution and the part of revising that to go to a different structure of leadership here at Mount Calvary Church to an elder board and then a deacon board. And so again, we're going to talk about a little bit about that today as we go into this message. So this is probably a little bit different type of sermon than you might hear, but it's an important sermon because it, it affects all of us here at Mount Calvary Church and our structure of leadership. And uh, leadership is important. Let me remind you, as, as we started, I want to give you six very quickly. I'm just going to fly through these. I gave them to you 15 months ago, but I want to remind you of them today. Six foundations of church leadership. Number one is simply this. Jesus is the head of this church. It's not Pastor John. It's not Pastor Dick. It's not the, the board, the official board right now. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Ephesians 5.23 says... Christ is the head of the church, his body, and in himself, he is the Savior. And so he is the head of the church who we always need to be staying in touch with. The second thing is this. The members are the priests and ministers. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may be declared the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. I want to remind you that though Pastor John and I are called the pastors, the ministers, whatever you want to call us, scripturally, everyone who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior is a priest and a minister. In no way does God's Word teach a hierarchy of priesthood that the Catholic Church practices and other churches practice. In fact, the Bible says that we are priests. Why are we priests? Because through salvation, we have the privilege of going to Christ ourselves. We don't need someone to go to Christ in our, in our, in our ha- behalf, we can go to him, we can confess our sin, we can talk to him, we can have fellowship with him. So everyone is a priest who comes to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and every person is a minister. It's not just the job of Pastor Dick, Pastor John, and uh, Nikki, and the rest of our staff to minister. That is all of our jobs. That's all of our jobs. This ministry belongs to all of us. The third one is the authority of the local church is congregational. And uh, I, I gave this illustration two years ago, and I'm going to give it to you, or 15 months ago, I'm going to give it to you real quick. So Shazburgers, come up here real quick. Just help me out real quick for a second. And uh, Dr. Shear, come up real quick, okay? And you'll remember this, those who are here, but I want to refresh your memory so you see how this works, and I believe this is scripture. So Dr. Shear, you come up on the top here, because this morning you're the head of the church, you represent Christ. All the way up top. 
Okay? Now, since you're part of our board, you're going to represent the board, and you're going to represent a church member. Okay, so as a church member, I want you to step right here, up on here, okay? So what happens is the Bible says that the church, what? The church elects through prayer to Christ leadership in the church. And you now have elected your husband to be the leader. I hope he is the leader in your home, but now you've elected him. So he is the leader. And so what happens is that the church submits to Christ and now she's chosen to be leader, uh, to, to have a leader. But what happens as the church, when you elect, you step up and you step down, is you choose to what? Submit yourself to the leadership of the church. And that's how it works. Christ is the head, then the elders, and then the church members who have elected the elders, but are what? They are willing to submit not only to Christ, but to the leadership that they have made. And at times then, the deacons or the elders are willing to submit to what? The leadership. That's what Scripture teaches. Thank you. So, again, that's what that says here. The authority of the local church is congregational. We could go to Matthew 18 talk about that. Uh, if you want to read about what the church should vote on, Look at what I wrote. Well, I didn't write it. Somebody from Nine Marks Ministry wrote it, and I put it in the Wednesday night letter or prayer letter that goes out. You ought to read that if you haven't read that yet. Um, four, the local church calls out leaders, then submits to them, and I just illustrated that to you. Number five, the leaders are called elders. We could preach a whole message on this, and I could take you to so many different portions of Scripture in the New Testament that show you a plurality of eldership. In fact, every time that Paul writes, he writes to the elders at Ephesus, the elders at Corinth, the elders at Rome, and, and all the way through, you find out him using this term elders. Acts 15, 22 at Jerusalem, Acts 20, verse 17 at Miletus, uh, Titus 1, 5, Paul uses it as we're going to see this morning. James 5.14, it talks about calling the elders when somebody is sick among you. 1 Peter 5.1 says, so exhort the elders who serve among you. And it's always a plurality of eldership. And uh, the last one is the elders are to feed and lead the flock. Scripture teaches us in so many different places that the elders are to give guidance and direction that are preserve its biblical faithfulness. They're to be wardens of the word. They're to be trustees of the truth. Uh, they're to be the examples to the flock. And so when we think of the elders, that's what God's called them to do. These are six foundations of church leadership that are important for us to remember. These six foundations of leadership are what our Constitution will be built on and what it will come out of and what it will look like. So I review those for you this morning. Now, I want to go back here, and in 1 Timothy, I want to remind you of what the qualifications are for these positions. Before I do that, let me just remind you what a deacon is, okay? We find that term used over 100 times in the New Testament, only in here in Timothy, and again in Philippians 1.1, is it translated deacon or deacons. The very root word of that means to administer, to serve, a servant, service, relief, support, preparation. The very root word of deacon means to serve food. 
So, if I was to ask you, what is a deacon supposed to do, what would you tell me? Okay, that was pretty weak. If I was to say, what are deacons supposed to do, you would tell me they are to serve. So, what are deacons supposed to do? Serve. They are servants. But yet, God has some qualifications that he lays out for deacons. Now, I think that's a position in the church who serve. The elders are the ones that God calls to be the spiritual leaders of the ministry. And I believe the deacons come alongside the elders to help them. And so they're there to serve and to do things. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later, a little bit deeper. But now, a lot of times when you preach a message like this, the first thing that we want to do is you just sort of want to tune me out because you say, okay, this is not for me at all because I'm not a deacon. I'm not planning on being a deacon. I don't want to be a deacon. None of that. So I can just tune out right now. I could get my cell phone out. I could surf. You know, if you got your iPad, you could surf on that. Instead of looking at Scripture, you could do all those things. But listen, I believe the qualifications, since a deacon is nothing but a server, these qualifications are good for all of us because there's not one of us that are not called to what? To serve. Jesus Christ came into the world to serve. And so as a Christian, when I'm born again and I come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is my job to serve you. It's my job to serve others. So as a Christian, we ought to be serving one another. And so we all should be striving as servants to meet the qualifications that we're going to be talking about today. So let's look at them real quick. I've broken them down into a couple categories to go through this. And the first one, and before we do that, I think it would probably be good if we went ahead and read this portion of Scripture this morning. So let's go ahead and read these first uh, 13 verses from 1 Timothy. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, or an elder, therefore must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, an able, an able teacher, not addicted to wine, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy, one who manages his own household completely, having his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, or he might come to um, conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect and, and not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. And they must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Women also must be worthy of respect, not slanderous, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons must be husbands of uh, one wife, managing their children and their own households completely. For those who have served well as a deacon acquire a good standing for themselves and great holiness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus." So we want to look through this portion of Scripture, plus over in Titus, Titus chapter 1, where he gives the qualifications for elders there. And here, just for the deacons there, he talks about elders again and adds a few qualifications. So I thought the best way to look at this would be, first of all, similar 
qualifications. In other words, whether you're going to be an elder, whether you're going to be a deacon, you would meet these qualifications. So as we take this text apart and we look at the text in Titus, uh, these would be all of the qualifications that would fit both elder and deacon. Number one, they must be above reproach. They must be above reproach. So in 3.2 and in 3.9 and 10, that concept is given to us. Whether they're a deacon, whether they're an elder, they should be above reproach. In the original language, that word above reproach simply means a pot without a handle. So what it literally means, a pot without a handle. And uh, think about that. Think you had a boiling pot on the stove, and you want to go over and pick it up, but there's no handle to grab onto, so you really can't get that pot. And that's what it's saying. When you look at their lives, there ought to be nothing that stands out that's glaring that would keep them away from holding this position. It's, it's a pot without a handle is what this is meaning. So they must be above reproach. These qualities stand out in their life. They're clearly distinguishable. No one can accuse him of conduct which is unbefitting, uh, unbe um, unbefitting to a um, mature Christian or a mature person or mature behavior. So that's the first one. The second one is this, that they must be the husband of one wife. Must be the husband of one wife. Now, we could spend a whole message right here. And maybe I should sometime and take off this whole thing. But I'm going to tell you again what I told you 15 months ago. The translation of this is a one-woman man. This has nothing to do about divorce, whether the man's divorced or not divorced. It has nothing to do whether they're married or not married, whether they're single. It's saying that they are a one-woman man. Let me tell you this. There are many men who are married that are not one-women men. Or one -woman, they're not one-women men. Why? Because... Some married men are out having affairs or they're having these affairs in their mind all the time or they're surfing the internet and looking at things they shouldn't. When they do those things, they are not a one-woman man. That's what this scripture is talking about. Again, it, it doesn't mean here it's not talking about somebody who's divorced or not divorced or it's not even dealing with that whole divorce issue that we want to run to sometimes and say that disqualifies a man totally from that position. When you really study this through, so one woman man, that man has one woman, one woman if he's married that he is focused on and her and her alone. That's what it means. And so, you know, we, we could say, well, you know, a man who is a deacon can't be divorced. And maybe we'll talk about divorce later this summer. I think I'm going to do a, a couple sermons on that and uh, maybe clarify that to you. Because, you know, God hates divorce, doesn't he? And that sometimes, well, he can't be a deacon. He, you know, God hates divorce. He was divorced. Well, let me remind you what it says in Proverbs um, 6.16. God hates pride. God hates lying. God hates wicked hearts. God hates those that run to evil. And God hates those who stir up trouble among the brethren. So isn't it interesting that God hates those two, but we picked the one and say, oh, he can't be a deacon because God hates divorce. God hates, you have a man who's proud, pride. God hates pride just as much as he does divorce. God hates lying just as he does, as much as he does divorce. He hates wickedness just as much. He hates those who run to evil. He hates those who stir up trouble and gossip among the brethren. That's what he says. And so we'll, we'll come back there and we'll talk about that. But in this text, 
this text, if we're going to be true to the text and what it's saying, it's talking about the deacon and the elder is a one-woman man. His focus is on one woman, and that's it. Next, the next similar qualification is he must be temperate. That word temperate there was found in 3.2 and 3.8. It means he must be sober-minded, emotionally and mentally stable. He's balanced in his judgment. In other words, he makes wise decisions. He's a, he's a wise person. Let's look at the next one. He's respectable. 3.2 and 3.8. He's orderly or well-behaved. He's well-organized. The interesting word, it's opposite of chaos. It's the opposite word of chaos. And so somebody who's going to be an elder or a deacon ought to be somebody who's well-organized, who thinks clearly, who is um, opposite of, you know, chaos in their life. Next, is not addicted to wine. Not addicted to wine. 3.3 and 3.8. doesn't say that they can't have a glass of wine, but it does say that they're not what? Addicted. It doesn't say that they were not addicted to it. And again, that's a whole nother sermon. Uh, I don't drink, never have drank, never will drink. And uh, I have reasons for that and convictions for that myself. Um, but I'm not going to say that somebody who has a glass of wine with dinner is a sinner. I think when we go back to Timothy, that Timothy was trying to uphold that standard of not drinking at all because of his position of leadership. And uh, he was having trouble with his stomach. And because he was trying to uphold that, Paul comes to him and says what? Go ahead and have a little what? Wine for your stomach's sake. Now let me tell you, wine was different in, as far as proof and things like that in, than it is today in Bible times. And uh, again, that's a whole sermon within itself. But uh, certainly anyone who's in that position cannot be addicted to wine uh, or any other drugs. Um, F, manages his household well, 3, 4, and three twelve for the elder and the deacon. means he, he has authority over his home, and he manages it well. The next one, G, is this, his children obey him, 3, 4, and three twelve. His children are well-disciplined. Somebody who's in that position ought to have children who are well-disciplined. I remember and, uh, in our church in, uh, there in, in Magnolia, great young couple, uh, and, and really love them, but their children were, at that particular time, were just totally out of control. And so we wouldn't let him be uh, a deacon at that time because of that. And I often go back and think, was that the right decision? Was it the wrong decision? It's what Scripture says. The kids ended up eventually becoming, has a daughter on the mission field right now, and the other two boys are serving God. But at that particular time, I think this couple really struggled with disciplining their children. Um, so the last one is does not pursue dishonest gain, 3.8 and Titus 1.7. They're not greedy. They're honest in their work. They put in a hard day's work. That's what the scripture says, that they're not pursuing things dishonestly. They're known for their honesty. So those are all the similar qualification, whether it's a deacon, whether it's an elder, they should meet these qualifications. Now look at the dissimilar qualifications, and we'll start with the elder. So these qualifications, those who are in the position of deacon, do not have to meet these. Not that they're not good. Like I said, all of these are good for all of us. The first is prudent, self-control. All areas of his life, he has self-control emotionally. 
physically, spiritually. They're in a sense, they're self-control. He's prudent. You know, he doesn't fly off the handle. He, he has, he, you know, he has self-control. Next one is hospitable. Interesting word, hospitable. It's inter- he's willing, the word hospitable means to entertain strangers. And so again, remember this is for elders. And I really believe that, again, a person who is an elder ought to ha- be willing to entertain people in their home. Uh, and, and this scripture is saying they're willing to entertain strangers. In fact, when you study biblical, biblic, biblical hospitality, let me tell you what it is. Biblical hospitality meant that you took care of somebody from the time they left their house, the time they were in your house, till the time they got back to their house. That's what biblical hospitality is. So that's like if you have somebody over for dinner, when they get there, you say, how many miles was it you came? Oh, okay, well, let me make sure I take care of your gas. Did you ever think about that? I mean, biblically, that's what hospitality is. Just, man, I'm not having anybody in my house anymore if I've got to pay for their gas. <laughs> but biblical hospitality is that picture that I'm taking care of them what? Totally, totally. You know, the other night, uh, a sweet couple from our church had Virginia over to, to their house for dinner. And they showed this gift of hospitality. They made us feel very welcome. But one of the things they did, we've been on this Weight Watchers diet together. And uh, when they asked me, what do, you, what do you want to have to eat? And we just said, well, we, we're on Weight Watchers. And do you know they went on a Weight Watchers site and they had a full Weight Watchers meal for us? Man, I was disgusted. I thought, this is my chance to get something really <laughs> off the diet. And, man. But you know what? That's hospitality. They care that much about us. that They're willing to fix that Weight Watcher food. And it, let me tell you, it was delicious. It was great. But that's, what, that's really biblical hospitality is caring that much about people. And then what they're saying is elders, elders, that's how you should be. You should care that much about people, that your home is open, not only to people that you know, but to strangers. What that tells me, if you're in a position of an elder and we have missionaries coming, the elders ought to be the first one who have, have the missionaries into their homes. I just went to meddling, didn't I? Sorry about that. That's what Scripture says. That's what it says. Next, hospitality. Must be able to teach. An elder is a person who can take the Word of God and teach it. This doesn't necessarily mean that they stand up in front of people, but they're able to teach. And I think, again, that's that discipling where they're teaching people who are under them. They're helping them to grow in their walk with God. They must be gentle, excuse me, gentle, not violent. They must be, I'm flying through these, um, not quarrelsome, peaceful, reluctant to fight. They're peacemakers. It doesn't always have to be their way. They don't have to win the argument all the time. They're not a lover of money, 3-3. Three, three. Uh, they're, not, they're not in this for the money. They're, it's not, they're not a recent convert, of, of course. They're not a new convert. They're not new. They're not a novice. They, they have a good reputation outside. A person who's an elder, you ought to be able to go out into the world where they work, and you ought to be able to meet people that they work with and people that they're over or people that they're under, and those people are going to say, you know what, let me tell you about them. They are really, they live the Christian life. And so when you get out into the world, people ought to speak well of them. It's a qualification that they give there. They're, um, 
children must be saved. Titus 1.6, elders' children must be saved if they have them. I don't think it means if they don't have children, they can't be elders. It just means if they do, they what? They have to have come. They must come to Christ or have come to Christ. Um, they're, they're not overbearing, Titus 1.7. They're not quick-tempered, Titus 1.7. They are tempers controlled. And then they love what is good, Titus 1.8. They have a love for what is good. And then we have the deacon. And here, these are the dissimilar qualifications. These you do not find in the list of qualification for elders. And uh, there's only a couple of them here. First of all, they are not two-tongued. They're not two-tongued. They are sincere. What they say is true. Like the scripture says, let your yeas be yeas and your nays be nays. A deacon is not two-tongued. They don't tell you one thing and then turn around and tell you something else later. It's, they're sincere about what they tell you. They're not hypocritical. They say and they live what they mean. They say and they live what they mean. They're not living a hypocritical life. So they're not two-tongued, and then they are not hypocritical. Now, let me move on to something controversial. If you said, I thought some of the things you said were controversial already. Let me remind you, let me come back and ask you this question. If I was to say, what is a deacon, you would tell me what? Servant. They are a person who serves. Tell me one more time. What is a deacon? What's the difference between a deacon and an elder? Deacons aren't what? No, two-tongued, right? Not hypocritical. But elders, they teach. They are the spiritual leaders of the church. The deacons come alongside the elders to what? Serve. Okay, come along to serve. One more time, what do elders do? Serve. Oh, did I say elders? Sorry. Confused myself up here. What do deacons do? Serve. Okay. Now, back to our text. Now, if you have, if, if you ha we probably have quite a few different translations here. So in verse 11, I want you to look at verse 11. Some of yours will say, wives, likewise. Some of yours will say, women. So, is it wives? Is it women? What is it? Well, I'm going to give you the reason I believe this is another office. Whether we call it deaconesses, um, <clears throat> we used to do a, a service three or four times a year with um, a church right down called Mount, um, Mount Olive Baptist Church. Uh, great service. It was, it was my favorite service of the year. It was an African-American church. Their pastor graduated from uh, um, PBU, and uh, we used to get together for these services, and they were phenomenal. And the thing I loved, when we went to their church for the service, they had ladies who met you at the door, and they were all dressed in white and had white gloves on, and they were giving out the, the bulletins, and they were making sure that you had a seat, and, and they were ministering. If you wanted a drink of water, they would bring you a drink of water. They were phenomenal. And uh, I remember they were preaching one Sunday morning there uh, for Easter sunrise service and got up there, and one of these ladies came up to the, and brought me a glass of water, and then she said, have you had breakfast yet? And I said, well, no, I was going to after the service. And she said, but you're going to preach. You need something to eat. And she said, you want me to get you something? 
And she said, I'll get you whatever you, whatever you want. She said, I'll go downstairs and get you some of the eggs and stuff, and you can eat them. And I thought, well, I can't eat them sitting in front of everybody. But man, they just, they wanted to meet every need that you had. And that wasn't just for me. That was for everybody who were there. And you know what their title was? They were, they called them in that church, deaconesses. Okay, they were deaconesses. And so this portion of Scripture, let me give you five reasons why I believe this portion of Scripture is talking about a servant position for women that you could call it deaconess, you could call it women serving, whatever you want to call it. But first of all, because of the word in the original, which means likewise. Likewise. <clears throat> That's the first one here. Likewise. Because it's, it's, a strong argument, it's a strong argument for a distinct group for a distinct group. Look up in verse 7, where he's been talking about elders, and then all of a sudden he says what? Deacons, what? Likewise. Same word, same in the original language, same structure. And so now he says women likewise. So number one is because of that word that appears there in the English and in the Greek. The second is because of no possessive pronouns connecting the women with deacons. Translation of wives is a horrible translation of that word here. Okay, it's not a good translation. Women is a much better translation of it. And so <clears throat> he's not that word. Women does not connect itself to the deacons who he's just been talking about. That's number two. Number three is Paul gives no qualification for elders' wives. So why up under elders doesn't he say and Likewise, elders' wives. He doesn't do, doesn't do that. He doesn't say anything about the elders' wives whatsoever. So why, why then do the deacons' wives, are they called to a higher standard and they have qualifications and the elders' wives, they can just live however they want? Doesn't it make sense scripturally in the context that he would have certainly given, if this was going to be, if he was given qualifications to be for, for, the, for deacons' wives, he would give them for the elders' wives who are the, in a sense, spiritual leaders of the ministry. So because of that, the next one there is there's no such word as deaconess in the Greek language. Um, Paul did not use the word deaconess because there, that, there was no such word in the Greek language. The word deaconess is only found in post-Bible Greek. So I don't, there, there was no word for that. And that's why, you know, um, so, so that was the word he chose to use women. Using the term women was the only way Paul could distinguish them from male deacons. And then, number five, because qualifications parallel with the men. When you look at these qualifications, they parallel with what he's just said for the men. Whether they be elders, whether they be deacons, the, the, the qualifications parallel, just like the deacons parallel with the elders, the deaconesses or the women servants parallel. And uh, so they are <clears throat> reverent. Let me give you the qualifications there. Reverent and dignified. Same word that is used up in verse 8 for talking about deacons. It's the same Greek word. So they should be reverent and dignified. Serious lives, spiritual devotion. That's what he's talking about. Number two, they should be not slanderous. Not slanderous. Um, Dibilis is the word there. Malicious gossip. Um, slander. Can, they're able to control their tongue. They're temperate. 
temperance, sober in their judgment. And then lastly, they are faithful in all things, trustworthy in all areas. They handle money well. And so that's what he lays out for us. Now, let me tell you, we don't have deaconesses right now, but we have a person here at Mount Calvary Church, and I ask for her permission to use her. Or last week, I didn't ask for Vicky's permission to say what I said about her, and I was in trouble this week. Whew. Big trouble. Because some ladies who went out to dinner with her, and I won't mention their names, told her on Thursday night what I said. I got all the way till Thursday. Then I'm not going to say anything about who it was. But we have somebody else who serves in this ministry who I so much appreciate. She has a servant's heart, and that's Kelly Masters. Kelly serves here. She works as much as the rest of us work, and she's here all the time, and she has been such a blessing to us in handling the finances of this ministry. Does a phenomenal job. Saved us money, and I appreciate Kelly so much. She is, if we wanted to use the term, she is a woman who is what? Serving. So, so what would happen, because we make all kinds, so when we went to two different boards, if we had an elder board whose job it is, all the spiritual aspects and the things of the ministry, and that's what they're going to be dealing with, and they're meeting and they're dealing with all the spiritual things, and then we have a board over here who's helping to do finances and put financial things together and building stuff and those type of things like that. Why is it wrong to have women serving on that board, on that committee, who was eventually going to give that information to the elders for final what? Approval. So they are working as servants underneath. Whether we call them women on the board, whether we, and we, we, you know, they're not usurping authority. They are what? Coming alongside the elder board to help them make decisions. And so, so in a sense... I want you to think about that. I want you to think. And, and you say, well, why is this so important? I'll tell you why it's important. Because I believe church structure is important. I really do. I, I believe that it's, we need to be biblical. And uh, there's, there's a ministry down in Washington, D.C. I love. I read their blogs. I follow uh, Pastor Deaver all the time. It's called Nine Marks Ministry. I love that ministry. And, and they give you nine marks. I want to give them to you this morning of a healthy church. Nine marks of a healthy church. And uh, I want to give those to you quickly. First of all, preaching. I believe that we need to be strong in our preaching ministry. And, uh, and, and that's important. Biblical theology. You know what your elder board is doing right now? Your, 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 not your elder board, we call them our official board. We have since last fall, we have been looking at theology. And uh, we just finished up three months on soteriology. We, spent, we, we come together, we pray for about a half hour, and we've been praying for many of you. You know that we're praying through the families of our church this year. And then we spend about 20 minutes talking theology. And I, and I give them a lot of paperwork to read, and they come back, and then I question them. And you know what they did this week? You ought to, be hel- you ought to really be happy because all of your board members got saved this week. Because this week, in our last week study of soteriology, we, we divided up and we went all over this building in groups of two and the men shared the gospel with each other to make sure that they could do that. And then I've encouraged them to turn around and do the same thing with one of you or somebody else this week to make sure that you understand how the, to, about the gospel. 
And so we're working our way systematically through the study of theology in our board meetings. Why? Because I want our leadership to know what God's word teaches. And I want those men to be able to know where we stand as a church. And then if somebody comes along and begins to preach something that's contrary, or if Pastor John or if Pastor Dick ever stands up and preaches something contrary to the word of God, that one of those men will stand up and say, Pastor, you're wrong. And that's why those men are important, that they understand biblical theology. And and so theology is important. It's, It's the mark of a strong church. The gospel. The gospel. What Dr. Sheard said just a few minutes ago. Listen, that's what Mount Calvary Christian School, that's what this church is about. It's about the gospel. It's a the next one is conversion. And I said it last week: if we're not seeing conversions, we're just a country club. And so praise God, we talked about evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Membership, that's important. Why? Next, I'm excited, next Sunday morning, we're going we're, we're gonna to see about 10 people across the front here, and we're going to take them in as members. We just finished up a great new members class. Membership is important because you're saying, I'm willing to submit myself. I'm willing to come under the authority of the local church. And so membership is important. And, and discipline, using discipline when we need to here in the church. There are things that need sometimes sin. It's out of bounds and it needs to be brought before the church. And then discipleship, where we're all discipling. We're all ministers. We're discipling and bringing people along. And then the last one is this. It's leadership. Leadership. A plurality of godly, of godly qualified Men and women, or men who are serving in the position of elders, who have deacons who are coming alongside of them, serving the church and serving the body, making wise decisions and helping them to carry those things out. That's order in the church. That's what a church that's strong really looks like. It's not the type of music you're singing. It's not the color pews you have or what your building looks like. You want to talk about a strong church? Here's what we're striving for. Those nine marks right there. That's what we want Mount Calvary Church to look like. Those nine marks. How do we evaluate our ministry? We evaluate it by those things right there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God this morning. Thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, I thank you for the many servants that sit here before me this morning. Father, I thank you, Father, for our board who serves faithfully even now. I thank you their desire to know theology and, Lord, how they've been studying over these six months, Lord, learning these major themes, and we'll continue to go along as we, as we look. Lord, I pray that these men would eventually, as we move to elders and deacons, that they would know where they fit those that are serving now, and that, Lord, you would raise up many more who would desire the position of eldership. And then many who will say, Pastor, I'm not interested in being an elder. I'm not apt to teach. I don't want that. But, Lord, Lord, I want to be a deacon. I want to serve. Or we need those too. And then, Lord, many faithful women here in this church who are already serving, who are already in that term of a deaconess in a sense, Lord, they are serving And we thank you for them. And so, Father, I pray that Mount Calvary Church 
would look, each of us, at these nine marks and make sure that we're working toward being a healthy church that has healthy leadership. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning, this has, an, this has been a little bit different message, but maybe you're here visiting with us, or maybe you come on a regular basis and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. At the end of the service, I'll be down front here, and there'll be men at the back doors that'll be more than happy to take God's Word and show you how you could have a personal relationship before you leave this church today. Thank you.